This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our special podcast partners, Dex.com. They wear receipt bank. They've been through a great rebound. There's a lot of great stuff going on there, Martin, isn't there, at Dex? You know what, Rob? I always speak to accounting firms about having a strong, uh, clearly articulated value proposition really early on in their messaging. You know, as soon as you see that firm, it tells you something. When I go to Dex.com, that's D-E-X-T.com, it says right in front of me, we make accountants and bookkeepers and the businesses you advise more productive, profitable, and powerful with better data and insights. Those three illustrative P's there, productive, profitable, and powerful. What a great, clear value proposition. So, as accounting practitioners listening to this, if you're looking to make your firm more productive, profitable, and powerful, not just for you, but for the businesses you advise, go to dext.com, that's D-E-X-T, dot com and start a free trial or book a demo love that dex gives you more time and better data to advise on your clients and businesses so your accountants get over to dex.com thank you and welcome to the show and i'm thrilled to have with me today once more the wonderful legend that is lee frederickson good day sir it's a pleasure to be here, Rob. Lee, always great to have you on our show. You are a friend of the show, and you bring different insights each time. And today, we're going to do a deep dive into some research that Hinge have done recently on employer branding. So why don't we just uh, kick off, for the benefit of people that haven't come across you and Hinge before, just give us a little bit on your background and your areas of expertise. Okay. Well, I'm personally, I'm a behavioral psychologist by training. Uh, but Hinge is a branding and marketing firm that uh, specializes in the professional services. So that's what we do. And our really distinction is that we're research driven. So we do regular research on the professional services and what makes some firms grow faster and be more profitable and more successful than others. Mm. Why employer branding, Lee? Why did that stand out as a topic that warranted research? Great, great question. Uh, you know, if you look at what does it take to build a professional services firm, there's really three things you need. You know, one is you need to get the clients, obviously. No clients, no business, no firm. Hmm. The second thing is you need to have the people, and that's where employer branding comes in. And, of course, the third component is you need to have your processes and, and so forth that you use, and those are very important as well. And if, if you lack any one of those, you're going to be suboptimal in terms of what you can do as a firm. Mm. And uh, with the uh, shortages that there have been in a number of professional services industry with recruiting, that is an ongoing and uh, really a a pacing concern for a lot of firms. It's so true. A lot of the firms I talk to in my role is the Business Development Academy. We train accountants to win business. And you ask them, what is the biggest challenge they have in growing their firm? And they say, we, we can't get enough of the right people. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got the opportunities there, but we can't get enough of the right people to service them. So just to summarize, what are some of the most striking results from the study that you've done? Well, I think one of the things goes directly to what you were saying. You know, if you look across industries, uh, accounting is one of the very lowest in terms of the number of people who are actively looking for new positions or new engagements. Why would that be? Well, I think it may be uh, a related to what the employment situation is. All of the people that have, have been actively looking have found positions. So there's very a very thin margin of people who are actively looking. 
and where you really need to focus your effort if you're going to be successful in those that are more passive job seekers, those that aren't actively looking, but they would be interested in talking to someone if there was an offer that would be appropriate or if there was a good offer available. Hmm. So those are really the focus in these uh, industries that are extremely competitive and accounting really kind of tops the list. Yeah. Now, on the other end, if you were looking for uh, marketing people or uh, so forth, they're plentiful. A lot of people actively looking within the professional services looking for different marketing positions. And you split your questions into two perspectives, didn't you? You looked at the talent evaluators and the job seekers. Do you just want to make that distinction for us here? Yeah, exactly. So uh, we looked at over a thousand people and about half of them were job seekers. Those were people who were employed and were either actively, passively looking, or we even talked to some people who were not interested in moving at all. I'm happy where I am, not going to move. Uh, and then on the flip side, we looked at those who were involved in the hiring process, both mm -hmm. the direct uh, people who were responsible for hiring, as well as those that did interviewers or interviewing and, and contributing to the overall decisions. They're on the selection teams, as it were. And what we found is that there are many things which there's close agreement. They see it the same way, but there are also some things where there are some striking differences. And so it's, uh, it's very interesting to see where they see things the same and where there are opportunities that your colleagues might be missing. Yeah. So what exactly are job hunters looking for in professional services? Uh, it does vary by where they are in their career. So for okay. example, in the early part of the career, people are looking for a lot of different experiences. They want to try out new things. As a matter of fact, that, uh, that breadth of experience and that ability to try out new things is as important and in many cases more important than salary. Right. Just that experience. However, once you start to get to mid-career, you go like, oh my gosh, flip it around. <laughs> I, want, you know, I want to be able to focus. I don't want to be pulled in too many different directions. <laughs> you learned your lesson. Yeah, you start to say no to stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be able to say no. I don't want to be, uh, I want to be able to have some kind of focus. Yeah. And I want to have a culture, a, a company culture that is supportive of me and so forth. Uh, and then by the time you get to be a senior people, are a senior professional, you're more concerned about who am I actually working with and are people gonna to listen to me and am I gonna have the ability to change things, to actually have an impact on this organization? Yeah. So you can kind of see the profile of what people are looking for sort of morph as they gain experience. Yeah, and I don't know if this will come out later in our conversation, but this is generationally led, isn't it? We talk about millennials and Gen X and Gen Z. When you look at professional services, they are run by people that are over 50, predominantly male, and it's been ever thus, hasn't it? They're not adaptable to change so much, although COVID's hitting them there. But yeah. we do have this this wave, this hailstorm of people coming up that do want a voice, they do want some influence, they do yes. want the capacity to change things, and maybe have been frustrated by how the firm's culture has been going so far, and, and you're saying they value that more than how much they're being paid. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the other thing that really uh, came out that was quite surprising in, in previous studies, we found out that the ability to work remotely is important. Right. And it really comes out in this study, obviously, because we collected data just as the COVID was hitting. And there was a big difference in those firms that already had 
the ability to work remotely or that adapted quickly, they did much, much better in terms of the impact on their employees. And it's not like it's a no fault, no harm kind of thing because we actually found that those firms that did not adapt well to the COVID situation, that were not flexible, that didn't react quickly, they actually had more people who were actively looking. Mm -hmm. It's basically, I want out of here. This place isn't adapting. They're not adjusting. Uh, I need more flexibility. Yeah. And it was interesting, too, that the ability to work from home was even actually most pronounced in the senior professionals, which we wow. didn't expect. We yeah. expected it would be more lower level that uh, they would be. But the senior professionals were really the ones who said, I want to work at home. Now, whether that's driven by additional health concerns or, you know, they're, uh, you know as one get older, you get more moderate about those things. Uh, you know, we don't really know that in detail why. Maybe that commute just wears on them after doing yeah, exactly. that for 20, it 30 years. Could. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, yes. it's interesting what you're saying. I, I wrote this book, Build Your Reputation, uh, which mm -hmm. is on Amazon. And the, the essence of this book and a darn is a fine book, I might add. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate that. I, I'll pay you later. But it's a career playbook. And I asked the question in there, why should somebody uh, hire you or promote you? And what you need is career capital. In other words, you need that reputation. You need that voice, that influence, that network uh, of champions. You need something to bring to the party. And once you get career capital, you can trade it for, for autonomy, for flexibility, for remote working, for a three-day week, for a better mm -hmm. package, for more mm -hmm. interesting work, for better work colleagues. And you start to have a say in things when you have this career capital and a great reputation. So we're talking about employer branding, but there's this employee branding side of it as well, isn't it? And making yourself more promotable and hireable. It, it, it is, Rob. It is all, you know, it's all part of the same thing. And, you know, the, to that same point that you raise, uh, when we looked at it, we said, you know, what is most important in having an employer brand? You know, what, what makes for a good employer brand? What are the yeah. elements of a really successful employer brand? And interestingly, both on both sides of it, they come up with the same thing. And that is the corporate culture. What is your culture as an organization? The same thing you use to attract clients is what you use to attract employees. That's mm. your core of who you are as a corporation. What your what your uh, your environment is like to work in, and what your environment is like to be a client with. Yeah, culture is such a strange word too, isn't it? Because some firms think it's it's the brand values we put on our website, or it's we, what we say yeah, we do. But you don't really know a culture till you get wrapped up in it, do you? Yeah, yeah. You know that that's one of the, you just hit on one of my pet peeves. Right? <laughs> I, I don't I don't often go off on many. You go things, off on one, Lee. You have full license to run. I'm going to rip into it. this one. It, uh, <laughs> the notion of value, you know, the values we put on it. I know people put a lot of work and a lot of thought into those. But when you end up with a list of six or seven or eight values, yeah. how in the world do you expect anybody to follow that, even if they want to? I mean, the research on human behavior shows, you know, you can keep three objectives in your head and maybe four if you're super concentrated. Mm. Like, that's about it. But eight or ten values, forget it. You might just as well write gibberish there. Because and, even if someone's trying to, they can't do it. <laughs> yeah, and how often do the partners of the firm know what those five or six values are? They might know two or three of them, let alone live them out. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. So let's talk about the different stages. Candidates early in the career, we've established they're looking for different things later in the career. Do you want to mm -hmm. just expand on little, a little on, on what 
the priorities and deciding factors are for candidates at different stages in their career? Yeah, the, it, it really is interesting. And, and I think uh, one of the ways of thinking about it is your priority tends to be what you don't have. Okay. So when you look at what people who are actively looking at almost any part of their, of their career, the thing they're looking for is usually a better culture, better okay. cultural fit something where they will uh, get the uh, responsibility they need or the autonomy. So they're looking for a better culture and wages are secondary. When you move to those people who are not as actively looking, where they're more satisfied with the culture they have, actually they assume they're going to move to a place that has a, a good culture because they're not going to move unless they get a reasonable culture. That's and for them, the thing that actually moves them is the dollars. Right. So you, you end up with a different priority depending on where you are, you know, where you are, not only in your career, but where you are in terms of your dissatisfaction level with the place you're working at. Yeah, that's very good. And presumably then that has implications for the, the people in the firms recruiting these people at different stages in their career. It does. And it also has implications for turnover what we find out that turnover in a position is not uniform. You mean churn, but employee churn. churn. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. leaving, uh, leaving yeah, turnover and job. Because when you say that to an accountant, turnover. they have not, a different not, meaning not, of turnover. Not the British turnover. Yeah. We're yeah, talking yeah. about the other <laughs> Got it. Yeah, the bad kind. Uh, and what we find there is that uh, there's a peak of that around uh, two to three years after employment. So when you've been there a couple years, it sort of sinks in for you that uh, this is not the place for me or I've got what I can get out of this place. Mm. So that's a prime time for uh, people leaving. Other prime times are when you mess up something with the culture. Uh, the, uh, the response to COVID, for example, as we alluded to earlier, a big increase. All of a sudden people said, you know, this place isn't for me. And so they're now whether they're able to find a position or not, that's a different thing, but they have already loosened that bond that kept them where they are. Yeah, that's a really good point. And in your research, you look at the different stages as entry level and mid-career and, and that leadership senior professional. But are you finding on the whole that loyalty is going down? People are more open to moving. They are less wedded to a firm. Do you remember those jobs for life that we used to have? You sign up forever. Yes. But these days, there's a lot of fluidity, isn't there? Yeah, there, there is. And I, I would think that uh, people are, if I had to characterize it, I would say there's more people thinking of them as gigs rather than jobs, okay. rather than careers. It's something you're doing for a period of time. Yeah. And uh, I think that is characteristic of a lot of what's happening in society and a lot of the, you know, the structure of the work environment in general. I think it is doing. Now, having said that, though, there are still people and uh, who have a great deal of loyalty to the firm they have. And that seems to increase over time. Not surprising when you've been in a place a long time, you tend to be. So there's kind of a hump. If you can once get over that hump with people and they've really settled in, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty stable. Unless, you know, we mentioned COVID. The other thing that really impacts it is mergers. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah you merge, say, Coca-Cola with Panda Pops, and they're very different cultures, aren't they? And yes, yes, exactly. And it, it's, uh, it's interesting. If the merger is one where a firm acquires another firm, the people in the firm that is doing the acquiring, they're perfectly happy. 
They're, they're, yeah, they're not threatened. They're not. But the firm that is acquired or the one with a merger of equals, you see a big spike in people actively looking and a real decrease in those that say they're not looking at all. Yeah. So you lose stability in your workforce. And I saw some research by the Gallup organization that came up with a book called Vital Friends. And they said one of the key factors in enjoying your role, apart from worthwhile work, is being around people that you like, that are friends for you. So with disruption, mm-hmm. with people moving on, that affects your state of mind, doesn't it, and how happy exactly. you are career-wise? Exactly. It, it does indeed. And, uh, you know, you can see it as you, you look in firms. If you have a good friend in there, they tend to help each other, look out for each other's yeah. got, got your back, and uh, they're your informal. They're, they're a way of accumulating that career capital. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, that's part of your network. Mm. Now, when we look at talent, firms would say recruitment and retention of top talent is a key priority for us. They have all kinds of golden handshake welcome packages promising them the earth but it's at the other end as well you've got this term golden handcuffs that you've looked into tell us a little bit more about that well the uh the thing of it there is that uh, you know once you get in a situation where it's difficult to leave either because uh the of the employment situation or something you can get people who are resentful of where they are and they're resentful of what they're saying but they're staying around because of a financial thing or because of a retirement or just because of that Mm. and that really what that does is just saps the productivity it saps the engagement and involvement of it which hurts the firm as a whole yeah Corporate branding is different to personal branding. This personal branding side of it, building your own career capital, attracting people to you so you're employable. But the other side of it is this corporate branding. How do firms set themselves up as an employee of choice? You help firms with the corporate branding side of things. How do you begin to start that journey, Lee, and what kind of things do you talk about that? Well, the, uh, the first is understanding so you have policies that allow you to be a good place to work. Okay. If you have, you know, for example, the uh, the working remotely, uh, having a policy where you are against working remotely uh, can be very detrimental, and you don't necessarily realize that's hmm. what's going on. And the interesting thing is, people will tell you. I mean, when we do branding work and we ask the internal people about the brand, they'll tell you, you know, how satisfied they are and what they're dissatisfied and which policies and so forth. So it's not like it's not accessible or it's unknowable. Uh, It's right there for any competently performed survey or piece of research can uncover what those things are, but you have to have the will to change them. The second thing you need to do is you need to be able to communicate that culture and that brand. And that often is where people fall down, just like as you need to differentiate your uh, client-facing brand, how you're different from other firms. You also have to differentiate your employer brand. Hmm. How are you different than other employers, other okay. accounting firms? Yeah. Uh, do you have policies that are consistent? And you know, if you're hiring, uh, you know, you're focusing on hiring entry-level people, there's no excuse for not knowing what it is that they're looking for and, you know, what values are important to them. And there's no excuse for not knowing that here's the time of turnover. Here's when they're most likely to leave. So that is, that is there. You bring up an excellent point because 
your external brand will make one business client move from one accounting firm to another, but your employee brand will make one top talent person move from one firm to another because they perceive a gap, don't they? There's something better. There's something I haven't got. There's a need right. that's not being met. Yes, and, and it's either going to be uh, around their autonomy and their ability to build things or one of the benefits, whether it's salary or flexibility or working from home, it's going to be something like that that's, yeah. that's going to be consistent. And in professional firms, Lee, are there some that are so big and, and unwieldy, if you like, that they're a little bit blind to this internal employer branding? They think we've got such a strong external brand, people will just want to come and work for us. Well, to a certain extent, they are right that people, a strong external brand will attract people to work for you. Mm. Uh, what it won't do is keep them loyal. Right. Yeah. And uh, you'll be finding yourself, you're, you'll become a training academy for other firms. Yeah. So you've looked at different professional service sectors. There are many of them. We're talking about accountants here, but presumably attracting and retailing talent in different industries. Is it all pretty similar or are there any differences? Oh, there are actually some pretty stark differences in terms okay. of where they are in terms of the supply and demand. So, for example, one of the industries that's not accounting, but it kind of makes the point is construction. Very high level of active looking in the construction industry. Okay. Because if you think about it, construction industry is sort of oriented that way about big projects that last a time. And then yeah. you may go to another place that lasts a time. Uh, similarly, branding and uh, marketing and communications is an area where there's quite a bit of turnover. Uh, in the professional services, quite a bit of active turnover in there. Uh, so you have those kinds of anomalies. And as I meant, we mentioned earlier, uh, accounting is really an anomaly. It has a very, very low rate of active looking people. So most of them are, they're either satisfied where they are or they're passively looking. So I'm interested in the term passively looking, because if I think of some accountants that I know, looking is hard because by showing the world that you are unhappy where you are, you're jeopardizing your current position. So Precisely. you've almost got to do it under the radar, haven't you? You wouldn't put on LinkedIn uh, actively looking for new opportunities. You've got to be very careful who you talk about that to, haven't you? Precisely. And so you know where they go? Where? Uh, those mid-career people who are passively looking? Go on. Trade shows. Oh, yeah, true. Associations, your yeah. your professional community, other people, that's where they go. Yeah. They can talk to their friends discreetly. Yeah. Or they wait for someone to contact them through LinkedIn. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and if you without the face-to-face -face stuff and the trade shows with COVID and lockdown and everything else, uh, those those opportunities to talk to trusted friends are suppressed a little bit. They don't have those avenues. So there, there must be a few frustrated people out there. I, I, think, I, I think there are uh, some frustrated people. In, and you can see it actually, uh, I don't know if you caught in the news while LinkedIn laid off a uh, huge number, thousands and thousands of people in their, uh, in their corporate area who are focused on the passive job seeker market. Wow. Because a lot of that is just shut down as people have been, you know, overwhelmed with uh, just dealing with their personal family issues and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of things where people say, well, I'm just going to hold for the moment. Yeah. I'm just going to hold for the moment. Talk to us about time horizons, Lee, for job seekers. In terms of when they're looking? 
At which points, yeah. Well, this phrase time horizons came up in your research, doesn't it? So what is a time horizon to start with? Well, uh, there's, there's time horizons in terms of when it's most likely that someone is going to be looking for a, something okay. new. Yeah. It's kind of like where in your engagement with an organization are you most likely? Now, I've learned in, you know, in my own experience is that it takes six months before you really understand who a person is or what a job is. You know, it takes about six months, then you sort of understand, okay, this is the organization I really joined, not yeah. the one I thought I was joining. Yeah, it either is or it isn't what you bought into. Yes, yes, you know, the first the first few weeks, it's a honeymoon, everything is wonderful <laughs> and lovely, and then, then it's like, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. everything is, uh, there are all these things I didn't realize I should have asked about. <laughs> all the politics nobody told me about. Yes, yes. And then it takes you a while to make the decision. So uh, that's usually where the uh, the one to two years is usually pretty safe for an employer point of view. But then after that, that's when people really start looking. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we see is that when there's a big transition, we mentioned the thing with uh, COVID, we mentioned the thing with mergers and acquisitions. Whenever there's a change in your work environment that's significant, that also seems to really uh, engender a bunch of people looking like, this place has changed, I liked it the way it was, I don't like it the way it's going. Yeah, that's a really important point because we are squarely in the middle of a a pandemic right now. People have been furloughed. They're working from home. They might not want to go back and and have that commute. Some might be desperate to get back to an office because they're struggling with the home situation. But mm -hmm. it's change. It's upheaval. It's disruption. It makes people think and reflect. Am I really going where I want to go in life? And all the mergers and acquisitions, the stuff you're talking about, accountants and professionals, they don't deal well with this kind of change. They want certainty, don't they? And that's the last thing they've got right now. Right, exactly. There, there's a reason they went into uh, accounting and not new product development. Hmm. So that affects employee brands, it, it, yeah. employee and employer brands. It must be hard for an uh, accounting firm to keep people loyal when they're having to fellow some. Others are given uh, reductions, you know, 10% lower wages so we can keep the cash flow going and everything else. So they're going to lose people. Yes, they're, they're going to lose people and there's going to be uh, – uh, I think there's going to be big changes in terms of the business model. Uh, you know, before uh, I, I would characterize accounting as being primarily a local profession in its orientation. Okay. People felt that if you want to be, uh, you know, if you want to have uh, business in a certain area, you need to open an office in that city and you need to have people in that city. And it's all eyeball to eyeball. That's the only way you get business. That's the only way you can deliver your services. Well, I, I think the, the industry has demonstrated to itself that that's a bunch of baloney. Yeah. Uh, there are many different models and there are many different ways you deliver service. And, and really, uh, it's uh, quite possible, as we've shown, to do many things remotely that were previously done in the office. It's a really good point. And we're getting an explosion in outsourcing, offshoring, yes. freelancing, these career portfolios. I'm going to do this project and then opt out. So we're going to have yes. a disruptive labor market, aren't we? I think, I think we are. And, uh, you know, that creates, uh, depending on your view of things, that creates tremendous opportunity. 
uh, as people rethink their entire business models and it disrupts industries. I mean, uh, can the real estate uh, industry or the restaurant industry or the hospitality industry, you know, is absolutely getting disrupted. Mm. Is there anything employers can do to attract people that are not actively looking to move? Uh, yes, they can. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, and, and this is one of the things I find very fascinating, is the things that attract passive job seekers are almost the very same things that attract clients. Okay. They're very interested in your website, the kinds of thought leadership you publish, what you specialize in, what industries you know. Mm-hmm. So you think about it, you're, you know, you're accountant midway in your career, uh, you've got a lot of experience working in a particular industry and a particular thing, but you only get to do that a little bit of time and your employer is uh, some across between Scrooge and Simon Legree. You know, you're going to uh, you're going to be ripe for a place to go and a new way of thinking about that. And what you're going to do is you're going to look online. You're going to uh, talk to your friends at trade shows or virtual or otherwise, and you're going to figure out who, where can I really advance my career? Yeah. Where can I do the kinds of work I want to do in the way I want to do it? Yeah. So, in wrapping up, Lee, what advice would you give to? accounting firm leaders, and it may be even the HR function in there, but they're responsible for talent recruitment and retention. What advice would you give to them to state the employers of choice and put talent at the top of the agenda right now? Uh, I, I think I would say it starts with understanding what is it that you want to be known for as an organization what do you what are the expertise points what kinds of problems do you want to be able to solve and once you understand that then you have a much better understanding of what type of people you will need to be able to solve those kinds of problems and what kind of clients have those kinds of problems yeah and when you understand those two things and if you align those uh, uh, and you demonstrate your expertise through the things you write and talk about and share in the digital world, that helps you attract both the right kind of people and the right kind of clients. And so keeping your consult, your culture one that is really focused on that kind of work, that kind of expertise will attract the very best people and then give them the flexibility that they want and need to do their best work. Sure. And we hear stories here in the UK, Lee, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but the big four firms, for instance, they're, they're coming out of big offices with huge rents. They're not going to fill those up again. They're going to be laying off hundreds and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So the job market is going to be flooded with quality people. But in order to pick the cream of that crop, that employee brand proposition needs to be strong, doesn't it? It does, it does indeed. And I, I think that uh, the employer, the employee, and the firm as a whole, those brands, they all need to be strong. They all need to be aligned. And uh, I, I think the, uh, the movement towards recognizing the importance of brand, whether it's as an employer or as an individual, uh, I think we're just on the front edge of that. Yeah, so we become a bigger and bigger factor as we go to this more looser kind of structure. Sure. Well, I want to ask you one more thing in a moment, just to finish from the employee branding side of things. What do they need to be doing to become more promotable and hireable? But just before I do that, the the research that Hinge does, the 
stuff that you guys churn out is phenomenally high quality. If people want to know more about what you're doing, get interested in this corporate employer branding stuff that you're doing, what's a good way for them to reach out? Uh, I would go just to hingemarketing.com, our website, and look in the library. You'll see a section of research reports, and uh, this one is right there. All, All our executive summaries are free in there, so there's no cost or obligation, and we don't cold call, so no one's going to be reaching out to you and pounding on your head to talk to you. Yeah, got that. Thank you very much. And even the executive summaries are are super informative and very, very insightful. So this has been terrific today. Just finish with, with you with some words of advice or inspiration for the accountants themselves listening. They want to have that career capital. They want to be working for the best accounting firms. What would you say to them? Uh, I would say uh, number one is specialize. Uh, Start with something that you can, that you love and that you can devote yourself to getting better and better at it. I think we are entering an age of specialists and we will see more and more of that as the geographic barriers come grow. So that's number one. Number two is make that visible to the world. Share it. Uh, whether it's through blog posts or speaking or uh, online or even just sharing things that you find helpful and inspirational. Uh, helpfulness pays. That's what people are looking for. People who are helpful and are have expertise that's useful. And read this book, I'm sure, because that's right in there. The other <laughs> thing I would add to that, Lee, is build your network because yeah. – that personal board of advisors that can open doors and usher you into the corridors of power and into boardrooms, those champions, those advocates, you don't get anywhere on your own. So having people be in that gap for you, that's why they say it's not always what you know, it's who you know. That's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I I think it really is, Rob. And that's one of the things that our more recent research we're doing, one of the things we're finding the power of that, Mm -hmm. because it not only helps you with getting opportunities and so forth, it also helps you sharpen your skills being with other experts, you know, the, uh, you're judged by who you know and who you hang out with. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's been more than a few movies about uh, someone uh, having the, the attractive woman go out with them and all of a sudden they're more attractive. <laughs> yeah, just to finish, I say in my book, your network is who you know and your reputation is who knows you. And, and each one builds the other one. And so, yeah, you've got to invest in yourself. Lee Fredrickson, this has been terrific today. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. And uh, I look forward to the next time we have you on the show, where I'm sure we're going to have another amazing topic to talk about. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Rob. Thank you very much. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.